0: Welcome to the Krexi Podcast, an insider's look at all things commercial real estate. I'm Ashley Kopovich, Regional Director at Crexy, and today's host. Each episode, the Crexy team dives into a broad range of topics and conversations with featured experts to investigate trends, educate listeners, and understand the latest industry news in commercial real estate. As the nation's fastest-growing online CRE platform, we're excited to provide a window into the inner workings of commercial real estate for this generation and the next.
1: Welcome and thank you all for joining this episode of the Crexi Podcast, an insider's look at all things commercial real estate. In this show, we cover a broad range of topics that cater to both CRE newcomers and industry leaders alike. I'm your host, Ashley Kopovich, Regional Director at Crexy. and today we are thrilled to sit down with Edward Otaka, Senior Managing Director at the NNN Pro Group. Before we dive in, a little bit about our guest. Edward Otaka is a Senior Managing Director, Private Equity Specialist with the NNN Pro Group, one of the top performing net lease brokerage teams in the country. Eddie joined the NNN Pro Group in 2011 and works in the Institutional Coverage Group. His expertise is in sale leaps back, build-to-suit, and structured equity debt transactions on behalf of private equity funds, national retail, industrial, and medical tenants, REITs, and net lease funds. Eddie has closed over $6 billion in transactions during his career Including over $3 billion in the last four years. Before working with the NNN Pro Group, Eddie began his professional career in the sales and trading departments at UBS, AG, and Credit Suites. He is a Franklin and Marshall College graduate and resides in Duxbury, Massachusetts with his wife and two daughters. Eddie, welcome to the podcast.
2: Thank you. Thank you very much for
1: having me. Of course. We're thrilled for you to sit down with us today. So welcome and thank you. Great. So I know we just covered very extensively your background, but we want to hear it in your words. So first and foremost, tell us how you got your start in in commercial real estate and what Mm -hmm. drew you to your current focus.
2: Yeah, I mean, I would just say I got started. I was probably at school for five years working in banking and yeah, I graduated in 06, so kind of you had 0809 when things took a really sharp downturn kind of for the first time uh, post my college career. And I was really looking for something more entrepreneurial, something where I had a little bit more control of my own destiny in terms of earnings and things like that at the time. You know, banks, regardless of how well you did that year, they didn't really have a lot of money to pay bonuses, period. Um, so I think a lot of people, myself included, were looking to get out of situations like that. And there was also a lot of regulation um, coming into the market at that time. So through a friend, I was introduced at the time we were at Marcus and Millichap, Um and I was introduced a couple series of introductions, ultimately to Glenn Kanofsky, our founder. Um, and he and I kind of hit it off, and he gave me an opportunity and really haven't looked back since.
1: There you go. There yep. you go. I love those stories, kind of a lot of people get into commercial real estate or into their current focus through some happenstance, meeting the right people at the right time. So talk to us a little bit about that. Um, who were some of your first mentors? You mentioned Glenn, potentially others, and how did they help shape your career?
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, I would say definitely my father is a mentor, mm-hmm. um, you know, was very helpful navigating a wide range of business issues. Uh Particularly, someone not in commercial real estate, but in business, whether it's an internal issue, uh, a client issue, you know, he was very helpful. Um, guy by the name of Jimmy Ventura, uh, who helped hire and train me, very helpful as well. He was very good at making sure you never kind of got too high or too low. And he kept myself and other, a lot of other people who started at the same time kind of on an even keel uh, and very focused, particularly kind of early early in your career when, you know, things were hard. Uh, it was very hard business to break into and to create kind of a long-term uh, sustained success. So Jimmy helped a bunch of us with that. And then, of course, Glenn, who's our founder, you know, who's kind of the original uh, guy in this space, so to speak, who's a innovator, trailblazer, um, taught me so much. So between those folks and then a lot of great colleagues to kind of, you know, learn with along the way and more of a colleague basis versus a mentor. I mean, and then pro has been, been great at that. I think it's been great for a lot of people to, to provide that kind of support both from a mentor perspective, as well as a, a colleague perspective.
1: Absolutely. And I think one of the biggest things that you just mentioned is not getting too high or not getting too low, right? Being even keeled, this industry definitely will have its highs and lows, especially in this market, which we'll touch on in a little bit, but you know, keeping that kind of straight line, method, making sure that, you know, everything between the ears is kind of top notch on that even keel is, is one huge lesson. Talk to us a little bit about maybe some other lessons that you've learned early on in your career or middle, or even later that has been pivotal to your success or just your day to day life.
2: Um, You know, I'd say a lot of it, Is keeping up with the things that you learn kind of at the beginning, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, however you're doing business development, however you're doing client relationship management, however you're staying on top of the market, all those sorts of things don't really change. I think what changes is people get lazy people allow themselves to get into bad habits. Mm. You know, staying out of that and like maintaining humility, maintaining the fact that like you always have something to learn, maintaining the understanding that if you're not working hard, someone else is gonna work harder. And I think as people, you know, doing this now on year 13, you know, you're you're not always gonna be doing everything perfectly and, and when you kind of lapse in your discipline of what you know you should be doing, then you see, someone else gets a piece of business or something didn't go the way that you wanted and you're kind of right back to the beginning and doing it long enough it's like now I recognize that Mm -hmm. feeling so it you know when you're younger I think or or earlier in your career can really throw you off but you know now I know it's like you got to get back on the horse so to speak and got to start doing all those things that a lot of the folks I just mentioned kind of kind of taught me from the beginning
1: Sure. I I love that. You hit on a really good point, right? When we first start out, we're super hungry. We're making all the calls. We're in the office, you know, maybe first one in, last one out. How do you maintain that passion, that motivation, the why, you know, how do you kind of rediscipline yourself, so to speak, or, or kind of keep going on that path that you're on?
2: Um, I think... Look, a lot of people in this industry are competitive by nature, and I think mm-hmm. that's very much an innate uh, thing that kind of gets inside people. I mean, whether you were formerly an athlete or you're competitive, you know, in another area of life, I think a lot of people here have that. I don't think that's something that you necessarily lose. I mm-hmm. think you need to learn to be, you know, and like when I say balance, I don't mean work-life balance the way that it's n- meant a lot today but I mean you need to have a balanced perspective on life and like for me a lot of that has been to like I very much need to maintain this part of my life you know you grow up you have a family you have kids you want to support uh so there's all sorts of new factors coming into life to like keep that motivation um to keep it going Mm -hmm. for me at least
1: yeah, absolutely. Any daily practices or habits that you you instill in your day to day, whether that's commercial real estate related or outside, like meditation or working out or things like that, to you know keep on that path.
2: Yeah, not I'm not a meditation guy. <laughs> um, not from not that I wouldn't want to be. That's just not. It's hard for me. It's
1: hard. You know? It's hard. Um,
2: I admire people who can. Yep. No, I think my, my daily habits, like I do need to work out. Um, mm-hmm. Like so many people, like, I mean, for me, it's running, but like that helps kind of maintain stress management, helps sure. you sleep, all that, making sure that you're taking care of yourself in terms of sleep and diet to the extent that you can. And then other than that, I try to maintain, you know, I have a calendar that is consistent every week where I set aside time to do the different things that I need to do, whether it's like, I need to look at an analysis. um, I need to set aside time for business development. I need to set aside time. I know for X number of days out of the month, I need to be traveling to see existing clients and augmenting that with seeing new prospective clients. So I try to have a very consistent calendar with what I'm doing and, you know, trying to you gotta hold yourself to that because you mm-hmm. put something in the calendar, but it doesn't mean it's just gonna do it, you know, it's gonna happen on its own. So um for me, like structure and routine mm-hmm. is very helpful. And when you're in this business, you need to drive that yourself. You don't have, sure. you know, XYZ manager coming over all the time saying, It's ten o'clock, are you doing this? Like you you've gotta drive that yourself. So that takes that takes discipline to do, you know, year in and year out.
1: Absolutely. Keep coming back to to discipline, right? Making sure that you're putting on your calendar. This is when I'm going to prospect. This is when I'm going to call. This is when I'm going to travel. Um, I heard it said multiple times, but if you look at someone's calendar, you can tell who they are right so even you know my workouts are on my calendar right and I think that that you know even though it's not formal meditation that for me is just my 45 minutes to an hour where I have no distractions I'm on a Pilates reformer so I literally can't think about anything else or I'm gonna hurt myself right (laughs) so you're actually in there but being able to do those things for yourself every day and then making that commitment staying disciplined and held accountable for yourself I think is a huge lesson that everyone can take away from so appreciate that. Now with all the lessons, sometimes our lessons come from mistakes, right? So are there any favorite mistakes that you've made throughout your career that has either made you course correct or a mistake that maybe led into an opportunity that you didn't see at the time or just something that you want to share with our listeners on that?
2: Yeah. I mean, I would say just kind of going back to routine and structure, like every time I, for any period of time, if I'm straying away from that, like something doesn't go the way that I'd like it to go. And again, it just keeps reinforcing that it's like not very complicated, it's simple, it's what you've been doing, just stick with it. Um, I mean, I think the other thing that's incredibly important too is, um, you know, it's a stressful industry, it's a stressful job, so like trying to Manage that competitive nature and stress, and to keep in control of your emotions. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, there's you say something to someone, it's not what you meant to say. Or didn't come, you, you know, a lot of times you, you can't take these things back. So, like, trying to understand to deal with that stuff, to have the maturity to know how to conduct yourself, particularly when things are difficult, I think is really, really important. You know, this industry sees a lot of people who, particularly when the market's strong, can have a good couple years and they're young and you know just trying to get through a lot of that and like to just to grow up a, a lot honestly I think uh, uh for me has been has been important and probably took longer than it should have and <laughs> and I'm still doing it it's not like I have it all figured out I mean it's a constant thing like you're through your 40s and 50s I mean I turned 40 this year so um you know understanding like what it's like to be middle aged um but no that's I think for me Having control of those two main things Mm -hmm. is probably the most important.
1: I think that's huge, right? Sometimes a lot of success can come maybe early on or things like that. Um, or even in a stressful environment, just managing those emotions, leaving the ego at the door, right? Managing all of that I think is hugely beneficial, especially with the stress of this industry. Yep. So really good point on there. Um, you've obviously done a lot of transactions throughout your career. Can you talk to our audience about some of your favorite, if not your, ever, your favorite ever transaction What made it so unique? Why is it your favorite? Let us in on a little secret.
2: Yeah, I mean, very quickly, I think in 2013, we did a $30 million friendlies transaction. That was my first transaction of any consequence. And that was the first time I've, you know, for a lot of people, I'm sure it wasn't real money, but for me at the time, it was the first time I made real money. And, um, you know, after three hard years of work, Mm -hmm. that's really rewarding, right? Mm -hmm. That's why we're doing it. So. That was kind of the first time things felt like they shifted. And then it was 2017 or 2018, uh, we we completed uh, my first transaction over, you know, it was $250 million sale, leaseback, and built to suit financing for a poor for-profit education company called Nord Anglia. Um, so that was the first time I did over one transaction over $100 million, so that was Noteworthy. And then I'd say in the last, you know, call it since 2018 and bonus depreciation, like really, you know, working with the folks on our team, like there's been several of us really focused on car wash to really create this market that didn't exist before. And that's kind of a series of transactions, but that's been incredibly rewarding to be to be able to be a part of that with my colleagues. So I'd say those are the handful of things.
1: Sure. And thanks for giving us that insight. So great segue into today's topic and what we're going to be talking about today is all things car wash. So to start, everyone knows what a car wash is here, right? But tell us what makes them interesting as an investment vehicle. So what are the 101 essentials of car washes for those who've never participated in this sector?
2: Yeah, I mean, what makes car wash, I mean, look, it's it's basically at its fundamental nature. It's a um, excellent net lease investment product. You take all the tax benefits and we'll get into some of that aside. I mean, these are well uh, capitalized, well-run businesses. They're high unit level margins. They're very profitable. That's certainly helped them as, you know, we'll get into this later, but as you have increased uh, building costs, you know, increased occupancy costs, uh, increased interest expenses, like having a 50% Mm -hmm. margin business where many others in the space do not generate that kind of P&L has been hugely helpful. Um, So just understanding fundamentally that like these are really strong businesses Um, You know, within the last four to five years, you've seen a lot of private capital, private equity coming into the space, really professionalizing what was previously a mom and pop industry. I mean, when we first started doing this in 2018 on a a real scale, car wash was 90, 95 percent, one and two unit operators. I think today that number is probably closer to 60 percent. So there's still theoretically a lot of white space out there. But the professionalization and um the the consolidation the space has really professionalized these companies and then you know what a lot of that we've been educating the market into and you know we've spent time with tax advisors we've, we've spent money on <clears throat> research to prove a lot of this out is the unique tax benefits that you know real estate professionals and others with qualified income um, how they can benefit from the bonus depreciation that was part of the jobs act and in 2018, I think it was, um, that, you know, that makes these a really unique kind of investment opportunity.
1: Sure. So you're kind of touching a little bit on it here. So maybe we have some operators who are listening or some potential investors who are listening. What would they need to know about the industry from a day-to-day perspective?
2: From the car wash industry from Mm -hmm. a day-to-day perspective? I mean, the beautiful thing about net lease is like there's not much to do on a day-to-day perspective. (laughs) You know, you kind of, you, you you manage the asset through kind of an annual or twice a year monitoring of unit level P&L. And what's going on in the local real estate market? Is it growing? Is it contracting? Same from a demographic perspective. So the asset management perspective on a post ownership basis um, is simple. I think the other part of it is a lot of investors who do have the qualified income and have gotten involved in car wash they ultimately want to do 1031 exchanges out of them mm-hmm. and so if you're in a rising cap rate market a rising interest rate market how do you protect yourself against that how do you still take and say we want these tax benefits and at the end of the day i want a diversified real estate portfolio um, you know when the market's shifting like that's hard so you kind of mm-hmm. you have to stay on top of that and that's got to obviously inform your investment decisions as well as your asset management decisions um, the other things you know, is really just to understand how the the changing interest rate market, how just like the economy and how that's shifting is impacting the operators Mm -hmm. and both at a corporate level as well as like at a store level, uh, you know, for each of these locations.
1: Sure. We'll we'll get your insight onto the, you know, a lot of the macroeconomic uh, factors and things like that. But for potential people who are trying to look into this as an investment, what makes... For a good car wash investment, from a deal seeking or underwriting perspective, and what separates this industry from other retail operators?
2: Yeah, I think what makes a good car wash investment—you um, know—a lot of people are obviously going to be focused on corporate credit. So whoever mm-hmm. your lease guarantor is, sure. um, you know, I think there's several at this point, very large players uh, in the space. So kind of understanding what their growth plans are understanding their financials, how much leverage is in the company, when is that debt maturing, how are they going to be able to refinance this? I mean, there's like a lot that people should be thinking about today because all operators are not going to be uh, the same from that perspective. So I think really understanding who owns the company, how they're capitalizing themselves, what their growth plans are. I think the other thing that's very, you know, investors smartly are very aware of today, which is how much are these things costing to build? And so, you know, when you have inflation that's impacting construction costs, car washes when we first started were three, three and three and a half million dollars to build. I mean, it's roughly 2X that today um, and you're still getting the same building. So I think for a lot of people trying to just understand that and make sure that like whatever price you're buying it at, what the rent is based on the cap rate, that, you know, you'd like it to be lower versus higher. Mm-hmm. And you want to make sure that they can afford to kind of pay the rent going forward, it's going to be a, a um, you know, a successful location. I think one way, I know you asked how it's different than other retail, but I think one way that's very consistent with retail is, like, location's incredibly important, not to use an old real estate cliche, but as the car wash industry has grown over these last several years, there's been a lot of development, a lot of building in it, and so understanding, like, the retail corridor you're in, if there's four or five car wash operators, you wanna have a strategic location relative mm-hmm. to your peers. You right. wanna have a newer location. You wanna have you know, a, a more attractive location with good access that you know, when, when a family or a mother is going shopping, like what's kind of the easy in and out? You know, what's proximate to the grocery store? So sure. in an in industry where there's been a lot of development, I think doubled, you know, doubling down to really be thoughtful about, I'm buying a good location that's gonna be a good performer.
1: Absolutely. I think that's a really, really good point. And you were kind of touching on this, how car washes have just grown tremendously over the past five, 10 years. Give us a little bit of um, an overview about that. What are some of the changes, especially after the pandemic that you're seeing in the space?
2: Yeah. I mean, when the consult, like, you know, Leonard Green was doing this with Mister, but it didn't get more broadly until Roar Capital bought what was ICWG at the time. And, you know, they're a long-term client of ours and we really got, and at that time, a lot of the deal flow that we were seeing, like these locations, a lot of it was M&A, was consolidating down these mom and pop operators. Um, and it was easy to do. Like there was a lot of them out there. Pricing made sense. As the market's gotten more and more competitive and more and more private equity has piled into an area that it previously wasn't interested in, a lot of that has shifted. So the MA market got a lot more expensive, and we've seen the, the ground up development mm-hmm. become a much bigger portion of the overall transactions that we're doing. So, you know, four or five years ago, I'd say we were doing 85, 90% MA. And today, the sale lease back and reverse build to suits, obviously, those are development, but of the transactions we're doing, I'd say probably 70 to 80%, maybe even plus, are greenfield development. So it's like, it changes the underwriting. When you have an existing location, you can look back three years P&L, have a good sense of how they're performing for a new location, you know, you're you're relying that the operator can provide a pro forma that, you know, they're going to be able to achieve.
1: Sure. Sure. Absolutely. So then what is your 30,000 foot overview on the current investment landscape for car washes? Where are you seeing the most investment interest coming from?
2: I think today, look, like car wash more than anything, of all the products that we work on, I'd say in any given year, probably 40% to 60% between what we call the one-off market, which is really dominated by the private investor versus the portfolio market, which is a combination of institutional, what I would call quasi-institutional investors. It also includes some larger 1031 exchange and larger families, smaller you know family offices. So because of the tax benefits of car wash, we've seen a disproportionate amount of private investors. Mm-hmm. You know, this, the, the, the bonus depreciation is not something REITs can take advantage of. Um, It's really the individual investor and having the qualified income. So what we've seen is more and more private individuals versus other product types. And we've seen funds that have come in and they compete and they outbid some of the more traditional REITs and things like this in the space because they're raising money for these tax benefits. So they're collecting investors, raising their money, and they're going out, there doing with us, you know, 50, $150 million portfolios at a time. So that's very unique uh, in the space and it's really driven a lot of pricing to the benefit of of private equity and sponsors and operators. Um, But it really creates a really unique marketplace of of buyers.
1: Awesome. That's really good to know. So um, in terms of asset performance across markets and other variables, um, do you see any differences? And if so, what are they?
2: Yes and no. I mean, there's some variation, but like car washing is is pretty consistent. They're successful in big markets and small markets. They're successful in kind of high-end demographics where people spend a lot of money on cars. They want sure. to take care of their assets. They want them to look nice. They do really well in areas that are more call middle income, but have big car cultures and they want mm-hmm. their trucks and everything to look nice. And obviously the subscription model has helped people wash their cars more frequently, and I think helped more people access car washing. Um, You know, people always think, like, warm weather, car wash. That's not really necessarily the case. I mean, I think there's more car washing done, frankly, in some of the colder areas where you have salt on the roads getting on your car. And, you know, particularly early on, people would say, what am I, you know, going to buy a car wash in North Dakota for? And I'm like, well, that's actually where these cold colder markets with mm-hmm. a lot of snow is, is where they do really well so mm-hmm. I mean we've sold car washes all over the country and we've sold car washes that perform well in all different parts of the country so I think it's a really appealing product offering from that standpoint that there's not a small geographic location sure. where these can be successful
1: Sure. Absolutely. Um, I live in LA and, um, our car washes, I get my car washed frequently. A lot of people do pride themselves on their cars and things like that, but we don't have any rain, so I'll get a rain check. So if I go to the car right. wash and then it rains, I can go back in within like 24 or 48 hours to re get it done because it will get messy since we don't have, you know, snow and things like that. But you know, that's exactly where I personally would think. So that's a really good tip yeah. to some of our audience that might not have put that, that together. For sure. Um, Now, in terms of uh, transaction activity and velocity, how has that shifted or changed over the last few years regarding this asset type?
2: I mean, it really shot up from 2018 to last year. I mean, our firm, NNN Pro, did $5.6 billion of transactional volume last year in brokerage. One and a half billion of that was car wash. So, I mean, Mm. that was not proportionately reflective of 13 through 2018. Um, So again, it's been part of just like a lot of the growth in the industry. Um, So it was really heavily going upward. This last year, there's been some slowing down, but it's nowhere near like what you're seeing in the broader commercial real estate markets. I mean, what you look at in the office markets or like anything, even multifamily where like debt creates some serious realities in terms of what cap rates can be and what kind of returns investors can generate you know, because of the tax benefits of car wash, <clears throat> investors are more likely to take lower rates of return, mm-hmm. right? Because they can refinance it out in three years, they can sell it, they can buy something else when hopefully rates and cap rates have a better relationship mm-hmm. and um, can kind of ride this out for the tax savings in the long, in the, you know, in the longer term. Um, the other thing that's nice about it is while car wash operators have slowed their growth in the last year, um, you know they really shifted to these development uh, portfolios and, and kind of pipelines a couple years ago and it takes you know a couple of years for to get the entitlement you, know, you find the land get the entitlements get it built get the cfo so we're having a big green field that you know it took a couple years and now they're all hitting and while the rate of growth has slowed they are still growing and one great thing about the sale lease back is it's still in times of rising cap rates it still makes sense for these companies to not tie their capital up in real estate, to sell it, lease it back, take that money, reinvest it into their businesses. I mean, the other thing that we've seen is that the senior debt for a lot of these companies is now more expensive than the cap rates, whereas that was never really the case in many previous years. So as an alternative, when you know these groups are thinking, how are we going to grow, particularly in light of these interest rates, like Doing reverse build-to-suits and sell lease back is, on a relative basis, arguably more attractive than it's been over the last you know, four to five years.
1: Sure. Appreciate you giving that, yeah. that insight to us. Um, really important right there. Um, when we're talking about some of the things that, that have been naturally just coming up, right, the current macroeconomic factors, inflation, rising interest rates, higher insurance costs, all of that, how are car washes just overview being affected right now?
2: I mean, look, they're being affected like all of us are. I mean, it's more expensive for you and I to live. It's more Mm -hmm. expensive for them to do business. Uh, You know, they can't get the same types of leverage, which, of course, enhance their return on equity for their investors. So everyone's having to deal with these realities. And and Car Wash is better positioned than many of its peers strictly because it's a high margin business. And it's attracted so much equity capital over the years that, like, it's well capitalized, right? So... Yeah, there's leverage in the system. There's always going to be leverage. But, you know, a lot of these people and these these firms have made substantial investments in these companies and they're, you know, this is they're not going to kind of change their kind of change with how, how they're approaching that necessarily. So I think, you know, if you look at other retail concepts, we've definitely started to see some hurt over the last year or two. I mean, this this quarter bankruptcy numbers are up. You, we're not seeing that knock-on wood in car wash, so I think on a relative basis, you know, it continues to be uh, a safe and performing investment.
1: That's good news. That's really good news. So, without having a crystal ball here, Eddie, um, what are your short-term and long-term outlets for car washes, and why?
2: Short and long-term outlooks for car washes. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd say in the short term, we're expecting a very busy end of the year. Um, Bonus depreciation has been 100% the last few years. This year, it's starting to sunset down to 80%. Um, I still think the benefits are strong enough. And I think it will sunset further to 60% next year. But if you buy this year and you carry that forward, you can actually take this year's 80%. So there's little tricks like that that we're... You know, working with advisors on to, to identify and explain to investors. Okay. We do think that that's going to keep the end of this year uh, busy. We've already started to see that pick up kind of coming out of August and now being mm-hmm. on the other end of Labor Day. Q4 is generally when we do probably 80% of our car wash volume for the year. So it's a very back half of the year focused uh, you know, category. So I think we're going to continue to see that this year. Next year, um, you know, it remains to be seen as the tax benefits reduce, there's going to have to be some more adjustment, in my opinion, between kind of cap rate and interest rate and getting back to what is more a a normal kind of rate of return on these things. Um, But again, like there's still growth. Um, I I still think this is going to be a good net lease investment category, you know, over the next several, several years.
1: Sure, absolutely. And really exciting. We're heading into your busiest time of the year. So thanks for sitting down with us. We know it's uh, very important, your time. So thank you. Appreciate that. Um, What are the most significant changes that you've noticed in this space um, from some of these, you know, macroeconomic factors or in general? And which do you think will have the most lasting impact? As, as you're saying, we're heading into the new year, 2024 and beyond.
2: I mean, I think what's more going to be a lasting impact, you know, rates are going to be, are they up, are they down? I mean, rates are going to kind of be what they are. And I think most businesses are going to be able to find a way to make it work one way or another. I think development costs are going to come down. We're starting to see some early signs of that. But I think over the long term, they're going to come down um, at some point. And I think that'll obviously be very helpful. I think the most important thing, again, to be more cognizant of today is like, because there have been more consolidators in the space, there has been more growth in the spaces. Just being really smart about, you know, where you're going into, like mm-hmm. to really focus on the unit that you're buying, not just the lease guarantor credit. And I think you're going to start to see some more divergence between site level performance as the industry has become more, it's really more competitive than it was when it was really mom and pop dominated. So I think that's going to be the longest lasting thing that folks are going to have to be cognizant of.
1: Sure, sure. Now, you mentioned some considerations in advising your clients and you're trying to educate them on all of this. So what are your primary considerations when advising car wash or net lease clients through these current economic times? What are some of the long-term upsides, current obstacles? How do you approach those conversations? What are you saying?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think for car wash operators, it's trying to get them the most efficient financing for their growth, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think that has shifted it used to make a lot more sense to buy and build yourself right it was mm-hmm. cheap to do and you could optimize a cap rate when you had something up and going and it was performing and that was really how it's been being done now with rising interest rates not to you know beat a dead horse but like a lot of these operators are having a either less debt capacity than they used to, and or just the cost of it, like I said, is now more expensive than cap rates. So more and more frequently, the transactions that we're doing are looking for off balance sheet investors to actually fund these developments sure. for the operators. And that there's pros and cons to that. It's very efficient from a capital perspective, but cap rates tend to be higher. Cap rates tend to be higher because the investors, they're taking risks on, is the site gonna be a good performer? Is it not gonna be a good performer? They're also taking timing risk because it takes time to develop these and there's delays in development that people cannot control. So it's like, do we think this is gonna open in 12 months? Is it gonna open in four months? And what's our view on interest rates in the time? The longer out something is, people are gonna wanna get paid more for that interest rate risk. So it's really kind of optimizing that and looking at a client's like, how do they wanna grow? What's their growth rate? What does their internal kind of cap structure look like? And then, like, what's the market going to provide? And the other part of it, too, is like some real estate and some markets are going to have a bigger premium between the one off and the portfolio market. Others will be more narrow. So it's also being choosy and strategic about which assets you put where. And that's how you blend to the kind of optimal outcome of like, you know, timing of getting it done quickly, but also getting it done at the lowest kind of cap rate possible. So that's the biggest thing for the car wash operators. I think for the net lease investors, it goes back to what I originally said about being really like thoughtful about the locations that you're buying, thoughtful about the credits that you're buying, you know, and just knowing that not all of these are kind of created equally, being in sync with your tax advisor and your accountant, understanding what you qualify for, what you don't qualify for, and what your gains look like and how much you have to offset, and really being prepared with that as much as you can, because you don't want to be doing this kind of last minute. Yeah, um, it, it can just be a lot to manage. So trying mm-hmm. to get ahead of that as much as possible is, you know, what folks should do.
1: Sure, absolutely. Well, that was a lot of advice. Those really, really good tips. Anything else? Any general bits of advice for any players within this space?
2: No, I mean not 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 beyond what's already been said it's just mm-hmm. you know kind of like be thoughtful about kind of what you're doing be aware of the interest rates and figure out your debt situation yeah. earlier that's the, I mm-hmm. guess the other thing I probably missed out on is like real estate lending is not great right now now it's still pretty good for net lease and sale lease mm-hmm. spec because it's a little bit safer than a lot of other categories of commercial real estate But folks, we're seeing more and more investors surprised at the interest rate or their bank can't do it or something like that. So like really running a process on the debt side and making sure you're reaching out to multiple lenders, you're vetting it ahead of time as much as possible. Because again, debt takes time. You don't want to be caught at the end uh, not being able to transact. Sure,
1: right. Be prepared at that point. I yeah. love it. I think in anything in life, be prepared, but especially in this, have all your ducks in a row before you go ahead and, and you know wanna make that offer. So appreciate all of the advice that you just shared with us. It's excellent, excellent stuff. So switching into a couple of rapid fire questions here for our okay. audience. So given your expertise and your specialized background, I'm sure our listeners would love to know your answers to three different questions that I have. So first and foremost, if you were given $50 million today and you had to invest it, what would be your go-to asset type, location, and why?
2: Uh, I would say, you know, look, I'm a fan of invest in what you know, and I know net lease, so uh what I love to say, like, you know, multifamily, the right cities, like, it's just not really what I, what I spend my days doing. So, I mean, look, I think trying to find parts of the, look, like, Texas and Florida is obviously very attractive to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. It's been really high growth, it's tax friendly. A lot of people moved there since COVID. Mm-hmm. Things have gotten really expensive and competitive there as a result. So I think sometimes looking at, maybe the secondary markets where you're seeing growth. I mean, a lot of areas in the Southeast have been growing really well. You know, kind of some of more of those secondary markets, I would say. And then I would continue to just say, like, kind of safer net lease investments that, um, you know, are higher margin or can withstand some of the shifting that's gone on from a macro perspective. Obviously, I mean, car wash is one of them. And with $50 million, I'd say, you want to just kind of create some diversity for that, create something with longer leases that you can, you know, trade in and out of over the coming years as that becomes appropriate, um, you know, and really kind of set yourself and your estate up, you know, for for future wealth.
1: Absolutely. Let's get you a check for $50 million. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> I won't say no. <laughs> Second question, and I promise this is not a trick question. What is the favorite tool or software that you use on the job?
2: I'm not, you know, like meditation, I'm not really a tech. Uh, I'm pretty low tech. Um, I will say Craxy does have like a great app and it's really easy to see like what's coming on the market, monitor your own properties, activity. It's a really good tool for helping your clients. So like there are things like that that I'll use for uh, like on my phone and things while I'm traveling, but I, I tend to be old school and like I more when I say the phone, I mean the actual telephone and sure. speaking on it. Yeah. So <laughs> that's probably my number one thing. I know that's not the most exciting answer, but I I do think real estate kind of maintains some of that more old fashioned ways of like communicating and doing business. And it really is relationship driven, which, you know, I I think in person is the best way to do that over the phone Mm -hmm. is kind of your backup. I guess people, you know, Zooms are popular now, but you know, emails, texts, like a lot of that just gets lost in people's inboxes and whatnot. So.
1: Absolutely. I think the phone is, you know, one of our most important assets, right? So whether it's you have an app on your phone that helps you manage some of these contacts, but at the end of the day, it's picking up the phone and calling these people and checking in with owners or operators or investors and things like that. So I'm absolutely with you on that one, Eddie. (laughs) And last but not least, what is the most common misconception about your job or the industry as a whole?
2: Um, I'd say the most common misperceptions are like the broker greed, I think is a very much a, which, you know, there's certainly it exists out there, but I think, you know, and it's not just us. I mean, there's a set of high quality brokers who are really more like advisors in this space that become successful by continuously kind of like putting clients long-term needs as the number one goal. And like. I think, again, that's something culturally that I think we're fastidious about. Um, and I will say, in my opinion, it pays off in the long term. Um, so I think that's kind of a misperception that's that's commonly out there. Um, you know, that's probably the, num- the number one thing I would say. <laughs> I mean, I think like we represent a lot of private equity and they obviously right. have reputations as well, but you know, that aren't always great. But what we've certainly seen in the car wash space is like, To have intelligent capital come in and build high quality businesses that real estate investors can benefit from is, I think, something that's very real. Um, And, you know, again, that's why I think understanding like who owns it, how they're growing it is really important because there are some really excellent investors and and operators in the space.
1: I love it. Absolutely. Number one thing. I mean, you know, there are honest salespeople out there, right? You know, it's, it's kind of the, um, you know, oxymoron sometimes to, to say that. But I think to be a good broker and to be successful like you are in your career, you have to put the clients first and you have to truly understand what their growth model is and their business plans and things like that to, you know, get to where you are today. So I love that you said that. Um, last, before we let you go, any parting words of advice, anything that you want to say to our listeners about the industry, about success, about yourself, anything that you want to leave our listeners with here today?
2: No, I mean, I think we covered a lot of ground. I think, you know, the market is definitely difficult right now. Um, I'd say there's still a lot of really good opportunities, particularly, I mean, we're talking about car wash. I think that's an excellent example at the top of the list. Um, and I still think that there's a lot of reasons for these transactions to happen that even when things shift a little bit economically speaking there's a reason why we're still doing the volume of these that we're doing it's because it makes sense for both parties in the transaction so you know I think that's a sign of a fundamentally strong industry fundamentally strong investments Um, you know it's able to withstand changes Uh, so that's just what I would leave it you know that's I guess my last parting parting words.
1: Those are perfect. (laughs) You've heard it here first. Car wash is here to stay. It's strong. Nothing's going away. So thank you, Eddie. Thank you so much for your time. We know that you're super busy. So we really appreciate sitting down with us and sharing your thoughts and your advice and your wisdom with all of our listeners today. If anyone wants to get in touch, where can they find you? Social media, LinkedIn, email. What's the best way to get in touch? You know,
2: email. We've got a great Website, particularly for investors who want to see what mm-hmm. our inventory is that's available. All of our contact information is there. And um, please don't hesitate to reach out.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much again. Thanks everyone for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure not to miss the next one. Visit go.crexi.com slash podcast. That's go.crexy crexicom forward slash podcast and sign up to get the very next episode delivered straight to your inbox. You can also subscribe to the CREXI podcast on your favorite podcast app, or check out our YouTube channel at www.youtube.com slash CREXI for video recordings of each episode. Goodbye, stay well, and we'll see you next time.